It's, it's, it's not an imaginary gazing. It's, it's beholding Christ, who he is. It's his spirit at work in us, changing us, and working out his, really his fruit, uh, the, the, who Christ is, right? Who Christ is through us, um, the truths of who Christ is, and him changing us. So that's big, right? It's, it's, it's through him. So we talked about this calling for all of us as Christians to test the spirits. Um, and let me just pause. You know, I, I, a good friend asked me a good question this week. And, and one of the, really what he was stirring in me was, uh, how do you uh, contextualize in this culture uh, carefully the way you would contextualize in an African culture. And, and that's not the words he used. But in essence, it was, it, it was um, you know, mindful of, of not bringing American culture into Uganda. Uh, not, you know, how do you not bring African culture into here? And that, still, that doesn't get to the heart of it. But it at least stirred in me something that I, I want to just preface as, as, as we go. Because for me... Um, I, I'm kind of a hybrid of a person, right? Like, it, um, for many, many years, God in Uganda taught us a new cultural context, and that was huge. I mean, it shined light back on our my own culturalisms. It revealed things. It also helped me to ask questions that I hadn't been forced to ask before. Helped me to wrestle through Scripture and the Gospel in, in new and fresh ways that I needed. And I could see into a cultural context, and that was helpful. Um, coming back this way, I feel like in a lot of ways I'm relearning a culture. Um, almost like a student of American culture, which I took for granted. Um, but, but just as it was so helpful to have uh, my Western culture sort of exposed in the light of another culture, it's helpful for us also to have our lenses, our things exposed in light of other culture. And so for me, one of my big battles when I first got here was, ah, how do I fit in? How do I do this as an, as an American? Like, I'm, 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 I'm not. Like, I'm, I've been so affected. And for me, it was a big, uh, almost a release of, of, in a sense, God just making it clear that just you're called to be who I've made you to be. Be you um, in all of your Amerigandan-ness. So if, just let me put it to you, though, as my people, if, if I'm being too African and not enough bridging culturally or applying culturally, have those conversations with me. Help me, okay? Because I want those conversations. Um, so that's a preface. Okay, um, you know, for example, test the spirits. I, I am going to tell a story about the lady in Kabubu who a, a demon spoke through her, pretend, you know, pretending to be the, uh, the father. I'm going to tell those stories because we need to hear those stories. Like, that's, that's real. You know, it, this, that exposes like, our culture. Have we ever heard of that happening here? I mean, in certain parts of America, you will hear of that more commonly, but most of us haven't. But that really is the realm that we deal in. We, this is a spiritual realm. And we talk about that as we talk about what is the world. It's, it's spiritual and physical opposing God, working together. And so we test the spirits. And that's a call for all of us. But that's not language we use. But we need to understand so that we can test the spirits. Because how do spirits speak? Through people. And that's what First John makes clear. They speak through people. And, and 95% truth and 5% error can be a very, very binding type of teaching. Demonic. 
Right? And that's been from the early church. That's been from Genesis in the garden right up to today. So one of the things that I, I typically will really push my young people, right, no matter where we are, and that's that we must feast doctrinally with and by and at the feet of those whose lives we're observing. We must. All right, and so, for example, when Robbie Zacharias' stuff came out, it was a shock, but it wasn't a shock because I don't know him. I don't know his life. You know, and, and he wasn't a main influencer for me, though I appreciate it. I heard him speak. I thought, oh, you know, this, this guy's really smart. Um, but I couldn't observe his life. It, um, we learn, but we learn in a context of community and with leaders with whom we observe their lives and we, and we wrestle through truth together. That's part of how we test the spirits as a body. Okay? But it's got to be there because we'll find blind spots and gaps in all kinds of good teachers that can actually be harmful. We don't see the fullness of how what I'm speaking is being lived. Okay, so just that's my preface. Does that make sense? Okay, let me pause there. Comments or questions? Is that confusing? Is it helpful? Thumbs up. We're okay. Okay, so don't be taken captive because it's really easy. And don't be conformed, because we naturally are. We've come out of the world. All right? our, our flesh connects into the world very easily and naturally. So what is the world? It is the spiritual and physical reality around us that opposes God. Like that's, that's what we said. And it's a battle of truth and error. All of us have what we perceive to be the best or most correct worldview or lens and that's part of our danger for all of us so my high schoolers you know we talked about how all of us by the way I I love these all right these things have been with me for like 15 years I love them Uh, huh except they're really dirty (laughs) it's because you haven't seen them you know they just stay tucked away all right these have been carefully crafted all of us view the world through a lens and it's helpful sometimes to just see it all right, because it makes it tangible. And these lenses have been carefully crafted. They've been crafted by our, our, our families, our friends, media, we said education, government, go on and on. But do you know what one of the biggest crafters of our lenses actually is? It's our experience. Our experience becomes almost the chains that bind our lens to ourselves. It's what we experience. So here's my African story. You can say, you can go in and do a, 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 well, this happened. A doctor went into Chuoco Hospital, did teaching on tuberculosis, explained all the medical of TB. And at the end of it, a nurse says, oh, doctor, thank you for your great presentation. But we know what really causes TB. <laughs> like, okay, and what is it? It's the spirits, okay? And, and, and here's a story of an example. I actually had someone in one of my classes tell me, that, you can give, that a woman could give birth to a mosquito because the spirits can do that. And I was like, were you there? Did you see it? She was like, mm, well, you know, yes, I was there. But you saw the mosquito come out. Well, no. Okay, but experience, right? Like, but I've heard it. I, I've seen it or have I. But what about where you really have experienced it, right? Like I heard the owl hooting in the tree and someone died. So don't tell me that the owl doesn't, bring death, experience, it's chains, it's here. I know, I've heard, I've tested, I have tested. My experience holds it. 
And one of the challenges for us with lenses is that, go ahead, is, is that I'm seeing, the, I'm seeing the world orange, right? And she's seeing the world what? Yellow. And we're both convinced that we are right. Who's the most right? No, you're wrong. Well, I mean, maybe you're somehow right because, you know, there's a little bit of yellow and orange, but I'm more right. Right? And then we take these, and again, without even knowing, we read what? Scripture. Through our lenses. Where what we desperately need is for Scripture to confront and change our lenses together. Right? And that happens together as we submit to Christ and his word through his spirit as his body. He's constantly changing. But we have to be aware of them. And, and it, you know, it's scary. The more you become aware, the more you start to realize, okay, I mean, I, I know I must, I have a lens. Um, and I know that I'm still not fully aware of what my lens is. And I need Christ. So this brings humility. It should. Um, it, wow. Because I know how wrong I've been over many, many, many years. Um, what about you? All right, we have lenses. Now, on a big level, let me give you just some, some definitions of, of, of worldview. Then, uh, keep dropping. Okay. Whew. We defined worldview as the lens through which we view and interpret the world around us and live according to it. Okay, so that, that, that's the lens through which we view it and we make sense of it and we live out of it. That's a worldview, basically. Um, but lots of different people will define worldview differently, so I'll just give you a few other definitions. I, I, I didn't write them down, but just so you can hear how smart people say it. Every culture or ethnic group has a unique worldview, which refers to the way they view all of reality, understand it, and develop culturally specific rules for living in harmony within it. So that's the cultural rules within the reality of how we view and understand the world. A guy named Paul Hebert, um, from his book, The Gospel in Human Contexts, defines it this way. A worldview is the most encompassing view of reality we share with other people in a common culture. It is what we think with, not what we think about. That's an interesting distinction. It's what we think with, not what we think about. It's the mental picture of reality that we use to make sense of the world around us. All right, and so... Where the way I view and understand, the way you view and understand, we have worldview conflict, right? They come into conflict. There, there's others. Um, I think that's probably good enough. So we have lenses. Okay, we talked about two main worldviews. There's a God-centered worldview where God defines the world. Where did we see that? We saw that in Genesis 1 and 2. All right, the, he makes it. He defines it. Adam and Eve get to enjoy it. They just believe. They just get to believe. Right, God's at the center. A man-centered worldview we looked at comes in when we exalt ourselves above God, where we judge, we become the judge, really God the judged, God's truth the judged in that sense. Um, there we go. Uh, and we see Satan's claims, God is withholding, God is not good. You're missing out on something that you can gain. And so we saw the test, the eyes, delight, gaining wisdom. And the result, we all do the same. We all question, we doubt, we test. But we test according to me, 
and ultimately it leads to sin. And I think it's helpful to just think about sin in this context. And because sometimes we've heard it said that behind every sin is a lie, but I think it's helpful to actually like say it and say it. Behind every sin is a lie. Like I'm believing a lie. And I think it's helpful because we by nature sin, but we don't by nature stop and say, why? <laughs> why did I? What was I believing? What was behind it? What was it promising? What was it holding out? And when I, when I do my hand like this, I picture a gold chain with, with a big diamond or ruby hanging on the end, you know, something that's, that's flashing. It looks, it looks very like valuable and, and the enemy holds it out. Like, what am I believing that I'm going to get that, of course, it won't deliver? Sin doesn't deliver because sin brings death and slavery all the time. And so one of our great dangers is living enslaved, not just to my me-centered, Keith-centered, perspe- uh, 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 experience-held lens, but it's being blind to the sin that I allow to abide in my heart and my life. Blind to it. What's the response? Let's go back into Genesis 3. This is picking up now. And if this isn't new for you, that is okay. Because what I've found is that anytime I get to come into this, I need this. This is always new. It doesn't get old. Because this, like, these are the foundations that, that our cultures are built on, but that I'm built on. Right? And so as we come into Genesis 3, we see the serpent, we see the response, we recognize we do the same, but let's, let's look at what happens after the fall, after they take and they eat. Okay, what do we see in verse 7? Genesis 3, verse 7. Their eyes were opened. Then what? Say it again. They knew they were naked. And how did they respond to their nakedness that they're now aware of? They covered themselves. Okay, why did they cover themselves? They were ashamed. Nobody had to tell them deep within their own heart. They know that shame is a result of sin. Okay, so this is natural, right? Shame. So think about it for yourselves. All right, where do you see this playing out in life? Whether it's for yourself or for others, if you're a parent, for your children. Um, yeah, I, I have a picture of one of my kids uh, hiding in the closet. 
where are you? I felt like I was replaying Genesis 3. <laughs> Have you eaten all that candy? <laughs> okay. Who told you to hide? Anyway. Um, what do you think? Where, where do you see this? Where do you see this response? Uh, practically, yeah. How do you see it playing out? Culture, yourself, this reality of shame. We all have a guilty conscience. Okay, good. All of us. Yeah. Because today, what a lot of people in our culture do is try to fight shame by making it as whatever it is they're ashamed of as public as possible and trying to get everyone to celebrate it with them. Good. So we would call that shameless. Right? It's almost the absolute extreme side of shame to the degree of you flaunt it to hide it as if it's not there. So you're actually shameless, which could be the worst shame, right? That you just, you're just shameless. You've hardened in that sense yourself. Uh, and then get other people to celebrate it, yeah. And you can hear this, I can hear the, the, the biblical text of, uh, uh, is it Romans 1? Um, there's another place as well. Not only doing evil deeds, but um, um, celebrating, oh, is it Timothy? Approve of, yeah. It sounds like Timothy. Okay, good. What else? Let's think about relational shame. Have you ever had uh, where you've hurt someone or you know that there's an issue and you just try to avoid them? Right? Anybody guilty there? Relational shame? <laughs> right? Are you avoiding me? No. Okay, now I've just lied. <laughs> I'm not avoiding you. It's just, right? Okay. Can you imagine deceit and shame going together? Um, yes. Because uh, that type of shame, relational shame, is a type of deceit, right? And, and that's what you see together. Like they're trying to cover themselves as if they're okay. They're not. They've sinned, and we're going to see that play out as we go, but just think about ways you see this, because I think this is a concept that we, we want to pay attention to, because some of these are, are, they're sins, but we don't really consider it sin. It's just a normal response, right? I, I, I'm not intentionally avoiding you, but why? Why am I? What's going on? And then what about God? Hiding. That's the next part. Look, look at the next response. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. As if you can. Right? But they hide. And so shame and hiding, you see these going together. That would have been the closet episode. Right? There it is. Um, but that's all of us. How does that work out in marriage? Hiding. One person that I, I've walked with for many, many years, uh, rather than tell his wife things that she might rebuke or say no, or actually, I use the word cross his will, which means do something other than what he would want, he would, he would rather do things hiding. She doesn't need to know, right? After all, I'm the man. 
<laughs> um, but it's still hiding. And because if you do it openly or in light, you might not get what you want. So justify it, but you're wrong. It's sin. And this plays out. What are ways that we might hide? Can you think of other ways? And then we laugh at it. Yeah, I'm guilty of laughing. <laughs> All right, I know that. Yeah, you're right. I think within the Christian world, there is a, a Christian cynicism that's a type of hiding that we can, we can hide behind. It's easier to make cynical comments uh, about someone or even to someone rather than actually deal with an issue the way Christ calls us to in truth and in love. It's a whole lot easier. Um, yes? It's easier to wear the mask. It's easier to just pretend that I'm okay, to save face. Even though we're not a safe face culture, per se, doesn't drive us like other cultures as much. It's still our human nature hmm. to hide how we really are. Right. And Yeah. True. We, we can almost feel a shame that we're not great and therefore act great. Like, can I reveal to you what's really going on? So instead, I'm going to hide it. And I think that would connect into a type of shame, right? I think you'd see that. Okay, wow. That's huge. Now, again, sharing appropriately for various contexts is important, um, but it's walking as open people before each other, receiving from each other and speaking into each other. Like that's the gift of the body to one another. But we miss it when we're present, but not present. When we're here, but we're hiding. All right, I, I, again, uh, over the years, one of the things I've been aware of is fathers that are present in the home, but not present. They're checked out on media, even video games, adult fathers. Um, this is, this is this is real, 30 and 40 and 50 years old, hours and hours, present but not present. Um, of course, uh, this right here, right? <laughs> present, not present, a Ugandan friend, even in Uganda, technology, that quick. She confessed she would hide in her bedroom on her social media, on her phone, while her children were banging on the door, mommy, and just ignore them because she want, you know, she's here. That, again, it, it's a type of, of hiding um, away from, it's a they're creating a false reality, not moves into technology. Maybe we'll talk about technology. I think that's helpful for us. Um, we'll connect that into idolatry as well, but that's not for today. We'll see if we get there. Um, but the way these things play out, because technology just magnifies what's already in us. It's a magnifier. That's one way to think about technology. Um, and it's also a, a human extension. It's interesting how we, we get fidgety if we don't have it on us. Isn't that weird? It's almost like it's a body part. Because it is, it extends the voice and the eyes and the ears, and that's a, a different topic. Um, okay, so hiding. Um, I know we don't, we're not fleshing these out 
big, um, but I hope that you'll think on them right, and flesh them out for you. How are these things at work? Um, and again, there are shapers of these things. Like, let me just pause before I go forward and say, sometimes we hide or we withhold because our experience, we've experienced pain, rejection, hurt. And those are things that we need Christ to heal, to change in us. Uh, so that, that isn't our response. All right, so it's part of the reshaping of a lens is even the reshaping of our responses to one another. Okay. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Okay. Now, let's think about fear. Why, why was he afraid? What does he mean? I was afraid. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on, on just that phrase, I was afraid. I think it's, it's one of those things that I read it and I pass over it. And it's easy to do that. Why was he afraid? What does it mean? Just simple. He's <laughs> scared. Okay. Why was he scared? All right. Right. And that links into the because I was naked. I didn't want to be revealed as naked, really as having sinned against you. I didn't want to be exposed. Does it feel good to be exposed? Do we naturally come to the light to be exposed or do we hide? Can you hear John 3? It's biblical language, right? It's all these echoes, moves forward. De- they want the darkness because their deeds are evil, lest they be exposed. All right, this is, goes back to Adam. What is the beginning of wisdom? So aren't we supposed to fear God? I was afraid. Good. You should be. Is that the same thing? It's not the same thing. What's the difference? If there's a right fear and a wrong fear, I was afraid, so I hid, but the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. What's the difference? Wow. Okay, I'm afraid of the consequences of going away from him, so it drives me to him. Okay, there's a second side to that. That's good. What's the other side to it? So one is... Uh, the negative, I don't want the negative, it drives me to him, but what's the other? Reverence. I want the positive. Like, I want you, God, to be honored and glorified. And I know that I have not, right? And I come to you, holy judge, righteous one, holy God, right? And so the fear of God that gives reverence and an all that draws near is the fear of God that leads to wisdom, right? And that plays out in how we live our lives. That's the whole, all the wisdom text. And, but then there's the opposite, right? Which is the wrong fear. It's the, the fear of, of being exposed, being known, the fear, and, and the hiding. Still, I might acknowledge your judge, and I might acknowledge some of those things, but it doesn't mean that I'm gonna put it out into light. 
And there's a, there's a word that bridges the huge difference between those two responses. And it's repentance or not repentance. Repentance turns us to him, for him. Maybe we'll take next week or the week after and just talk about, about repentance. What it is and what it isn't. Because I think it's helpful to think about. Right? So there's a healthy fear. It draws us near. And, and I love in Deuteronomy over and over again, the fear of God and the love of God are wed. Don't, don't pull them apart. You can pull them apart to talk and think about it, but they're wed together. And you'll see it over and over again. Because the, the fear of God and the love of God woo us and pull us to him in awe and wonder and in receiving of the God who is, and you start giving his name that he pronounced to Moses, right? The, 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 the gracious, the merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in hesed. That's who he is. Yeah, right. What a difference in those two responses. Yes. The breakthrough of repentance is glorious. Yeah, right. Very good. Um, so what about you? You know, what are areas for you where shame is driving you to hiding? Where deceit, belief in the lie is truth, is gripping? Where the fear that pulls you away into yourself, um, that, that hiding fear blocks relationship with God and people. Think about it. Um, and then what's the next response? Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? And here's the issue. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, yes, God, I disobeyed your command. Though I was steward over it and over creation, I did not honor you as holy. I did not protect and tell the enemy to go. Can you hear it? That's what I want, right? I want to see manhood on display. Um. Boy, his response is so not. But it's so us. It's so me. It's so human. Um, so <laughs> what's he say? The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree and I ate. All right? It's her fault. It's your fault. You gave me her. You are to blame. It's you, God. Now, remember, going back to that, that serpent's question, right, that, that part of the Part of the, by believing the lie, God, you're withholding. At the heart of it, God isn't good if he's withholding. And yet we see the opposite. God was good. It was in God's goodness that he told them not to eat. But it was in eating that now he actually comes and accuses God of not being good. <laughs> right? Now, because it's the woman you gave me. Wow. 
It's her fault. It's your fault. Um, sometimes it feels good to blame God. Um, again, in a fleshly way. I remember reading Eli Weissel's Night, and uh, there was that, that, that picture where it rose up with him, within him, and he, he was ultimately, he, the way he says it is, I became the accuser and God the accused. And it just flashed me right back to the garden. It was just like, yeah, wow. There's something about putting God on trial that we think, right? And that's ultimately what Adam's doing. And that's ultimately what we do. Um, and it's subtle the way I think we can do it. What, are, what do you think are some subtle ways that we can blame God? Wow. Okay, so Isaac just hit the bullseye. Like, that if, if I were going to aim a shot, that's, the, that's it. As far as the center of the way we do it subtly and we're not aware of it. How does grumbling have, to, have anything to do with blaming God? Actually, we could go a step farther. It's a rejection of God. What? How's that? Well, it's amazing. If you read the book of Numbers, as the people are... My friend Jiten, the Indian... Jiten calls the, the book of Numbers the book of grumbling. <laughs> I love it. Um, but as they're grumbling, ultimately God says, because they grumble against God or, or against Moses, the food, uh, we're sick of this manna, we just want meat, okay? And, and right there, God says, Moses, listen, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And you see this grumbling and complaining about what they have been provided with and what the hardships that are before them, but that God's been with them in, ultimately the complaining is a rejection of God. They've rejected me. And you're like, what? I never would have connected it. But it makes sense. Grumbling is a rejection of God. And we have to have it that clear in our heads because it is our nature. It is. Like it's normal. Has anybody grumbled this week? Can I please see your hand? All right, please put your hand up, because if you're not, then you're just hiding. <laughs> okay, like, it, we do it, and, and that's where, like, repentance has to meet us, because in that is a grace of God to reveal out my discontent heart and how I judge based on what I see, and what I see right now is, right, and it, I just grumble. And do you know what we love? Have you ever noticed how good grumblers attract good grumblers? You know? And so we find the grumblers and we get, it's like we, we get into it because it gives us this great excuse to grumble together. Yeah. Next time you have to say to each other, you're rejecting God. I wonder how that would affect. Crazy. You're blaming. That's part of the blame response. To me? Okay, I'm catching myself grumbling because I do, all right? Yes, I'm grumbling right now. In that moment, I have to hear myself say, I'm rejecting God. 
how am I rejecting God? Okay, this is, right, because it's truth. It's this truth in there. I have to preach the gospel to myself, which means bringing truth to myself, which says, all right, Keith, right now, what's got you grumpy? Right now, I'm grumbling because this, 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 and this. Okay, what am I believing right now about that? Either what I deserve, I deserve, right? Or what people will think, because I can justify my grumbling, all right? Um, uh, uh, holy grumbling, Right. What will people think if, uh, you know, if I get there late? Um, come on, you woman, you're always making me late, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so <laughs> the woman you gave me, guys, she made me late. Um, uh, so just putting it out there and then just being able to say, God, please forgive me. Let me be content and thankful. I think thankfulness is the, is the opposite side of the grumbling. So how can God, how could you, first let me repent, please forgive me for, um, and then God, how can I be thankful for? Would you fill me with thankfulness? C- can you imagine replacing our grumbling with thankfulness, how impactful that would be on our homes and our relationships? Okay, this is huge. We're not going to master it in one day, but I hope, maybe, just put it before you. Look for it. Holy Spirit, will you show these things to me? Confront me with your truth as I gaze on Christ. And that's where we go, right? Because he didn't grumble and complain. You know, I go into Philippians. You can hear it, do all things without grumbling and complaining because, you know, you just have plenty of passages. It's all there. Okay. Yes. Good. Yeah. I mean, in essence, you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Right. Because I can't be thankful where God's not good or where God's withholding or where I'm not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You're right. Um, wow. Good. That's helpful. Okay. Um, I think we got, let me just finish through this here. Um, pride. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me a fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's the serpent's fault. Um. I just wanted to finish through that section and then we move into really the implications, um, the curse of sin. Pride. Um, umbrella, right? All of this, it all comes back. It's rooted in um, the, the, the reality of being called out and not responding with humility, not walking in thankfulness. Uh, all of those things are aspects of pride. Um, it, it's there. So the response of pride Think about it, all right, my perspective. So for Adam, in that moment, I don't know if he believed it, but it was, well, God, you gave me the woman, and I mean, really, I'm, I'm just, I'm going with that, 
okay? Um, that makes sense to me right now. Because if, if you hadn't, I mean, ultimately, that's the implication. This probably wouldn't have happened. Um, my perspective, my righteousness, that's a tricky one. Um, and, and that can, self-righteousness becomes an enemy of, of the hiding and, and, and you know, ultimately breaking relationship. My righteousness. Because the opposite is my unrighteousness. Those are the things that drive us to Christ. I can't trust my perspective. I need Christ. I don't trust in my righteousness. Before you, myself, it's got to be Christ. It's got to drive me to the cross. And I think one of the things that, that is big, not just the grumbling, but then I would flip it into that kind of cynicism, and then I'll couple that with critical judgmental spirit. And if you catch that, those three things are great evils for the church body. Decimate. A critical judgmental spirit. That's an aspect, this outflow of my response of, of pride or the need to be right. Boy, that affects relationships, arguments, disagreements, so many things, conflict. Um, I remember in my young 20s, and I would say this to all my young guys, as, as, as the truths of Scripture were confronting me, and you guys have heard me say this, um, I became a professional sermon analyzer. You know? Agreed, 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 disagree, disagree, agreed, agreed, mostly agree. You know, just chup, 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 chup. Um, because I had, I had learned, I had developed my own lens uh, to which I trusted, you know. So we talk about a man-centered worldview. At the center of man-centered worldview is a me-centered worldview, okay? So my me-centered worldview, I was professional. Um, and, and it took Christ confronting my critical judgmental spirit to actually give me a thirst and a longing to be taught of God. And that changed the way I listened to a sermon. It doesn't mean I'm still testing spirits. I'm still testing what I'm hearing, right? I want to test. I want to test. But I'm testing in a, in a, in a posture, in a heart that, that says, I want Christ. And I want to be taught. And I want to be teachable. And I want to learn. And I want to grow. And when that's your hunger and your thirst for righteousness... That makes all the difference in the way you sit and you listen to, to, to a sermon or to each other or to, or to anything, right? because that leads to dialogue, and you'll actually find God going beyond, like, and that's one of my favorite things is when you're listening to a sermon, and, and it's like you're, you're in God's Word, and God's Spirit just starts stirring things that aren't even being said, and you're like, ooh, ooh, and you're flipping Scripture, and you're like, yeah, where was that? You know, I love that. That's one of the things I pray, like, Lord, would you stir your people, Right? that you would be the, their teacher. Um, but an enemy of that is a critical judgmental spirit. And we want to fight against that together. Okay, I, I think I, I want to keep time, uh, the need to be right. What are, uh, the, the gift of repentance, because this is God's gift to us. If you're in Christ, you have repented, then repentance is for you. It's a gift for you. Take it. Fight against the seeds of pride. And we look to hope in Christ. Let's end with uh, Hebrews 10. I think this is so helpful. 
you'll hear me read this over and over. Uh, this is one of my comeback to, constantly come back to this text. Because I think it speaks into so much that we need to hear, that I need to hear. This is a great gathering text. This is a great one to read before you come on Sunday morning. Or before you meet together. It says, Hebrews 10 from verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, hallelujah, and our bodies washed with pure water. Awesome imagery. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And he goes into this great warning. Let me stop there uh, just for time. I was going to make some comments on the, the God covering their, uh, bring, bringing the, the, the skins and God clo- covering them. Uh, maybe I'll kick that off next week with that. Um, let's pray. God, may we be a people who stir each other to love and good works and who are walking in this gift of repentance. Would you root out of us, Lord, please, um, these seeds of pride, these seeds of, of grumbling and complaining, of complaining, of these ways we reject you and just are comfortable in it. Please forgive us for that. Lord, would you make us sensitive to you, that you would bring thankfulness and joy and life as we stand against this enemy who would love, who wants to grab these lies and hold us in bondage, captive to, uh, to these death traps. May we reject them and walk in your truth. In the hope of the gospel, the Savior who died and bore our sin in his body on that tree and who conquered death. May we walk in the freedom of the children of God for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.